1: Hey, everybody. Team USA is going down. That's where they're going. I'm Mike. That's Tommy. Hey, what's up, everyone? That's Kevin. What's up, y'all? Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling your friends. We've got another guest today. He is Mark Irwin, director of photography for D2, but he's also done like everything else you've ever seen. There's Something About Mary, Dumb and Dumber, Scream, Old School, Kingpin, Video Drone, 10 Things I Hate About You, over 100 films. Uh, Mark, thanks for coming on. appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I look forward to sharing all the knowledge that I built up over of all those films that you mentioned.
1: Okay, so first question is going to be kind of like a simple one because uh, you're listed as like a cinematographer and a director of photography. Now, Google kind of says they're the same things. Is there a difference between those
2: two? It's funny, the the word director of photography, um, if you break it down, what I do as a director of photography is I run... Three or four different crews obviously the camera the lighting the grip crew which is kind of like a very elaborate high-tech uh, stagehand kind of thing that rig everything and then sometimes a visual effects crew and then a special effects crew that's what the director of photography does because it's kind of saying he's in charge of all these crazy people um the cinematographer word is interchangeable it's, it's just a, kind of the the difference between doctor and physician <laughs> Which is kind of the same word. Same. Uh, you could define them in the same way. I'm a member of the American Society of Cinematographers and the Canadian Society of Cinematographers, and virtually every country has a society of cinematographers. I guess it's easier to have one word to say it's a society of this as opposed to society of directors of and adding things from there. So it really comes down to more or less. Um, the job you're doing at the time you're doing it. And on the set, um, I'm referred to as the DP in America or the DOP in the rest Mm -hmm. of the world, the director of photography. And uh, the word cinematographer is really kind of the, um, I don't want to say highbrow uh, um, noun, but uh, it is kind of uh, less used in the workplace and more used in, 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 in forums and in, in societies, like all the different uh, societies of cinematographers around the world. Okay. I hope that clears it up. Huh.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how does one become a cinematographer, a director of photography? How did you kind of get into the game?
2: I was very lucky in starting out in the early uh, 70s. And I, I mean, I started out as as a cameraman, as a camera kid in the in the 60s, making home movies with uh, 60 mil pr- um, cameras and I was projectionist I was the AV geek all through school <laughs> uh, and somebody listening to this will remember the film strip projector and and the film projector and they had to be set up in each, each classroom and, and turn off the lights and close the curtains and I'd project the movie so that's how I got started in the in the, the 50s and 60s and then I started making films and I got into um, university went to film school, and started out. Um, is this a family podcast, by the way? Or uh, is, I mean, you can swear.
0: It's rated mature on oh, iTunes. I'm, yeah,
2: we have an extra rated. Oh, I won't be swearing, but I, I did start out in the in the porn industry in Toronto. All right. Way back then, <laughs> in the early 70s. And things were different then when theaters only um, projected 35mm. We would shoot these films in 35mm, which is kind of, feature style, feature gauge. It's kind of the Hollywood, uh, upper echelon, but that's all there was in those days. So I started shooting the same way that I started shooting. Uh, I should say theatrical films, the same way. I started shooting everything, uh, documentaries, industrial films, sponsored films. Uh, I mean, literally industrials, everything shooting in the Arctic, you know, I'm from Canada. So, Everyone would say, Hey, we're going up to the North Pole. Yeah, you want to come? Sure. 40 below, what am I doing up here? Uh, but my motto was to say yes to anything and to say yes to everything. And I, and I lucked out in working on a film. I don't know if you're familiar with a producer called Sam Arkoff, Sam G. Arkoff, who was a very um, wise man back in the 60s when he decided that. He was gonna make uh, movies, he was a Hollywood producer, make movies for the uh, the market, the teenage market. These kids mm-hmm. today, you know, these teenage kids, and decided um, uh, uh, American International Pictures, AIP, he was gonna put his audience in the movies. Instead of Greg McBeck, he was gonna have Beach Blanket Bingo and everybody was a kid. Um, so I started, I lucked out doing a film called Blood and Guts, which was a, an AIP style mm-hmm. film about wrestling. Uh, this was 77, 78. Uh, I met a director who had done a lot of, of horror films in Montreal. He was from Toronto, but he was shot them in Montreal. And the same producer who did the wrestling film was doing a film about drag racing. And the, produ- the director had a lot of vintage race cars, English vintage race cars. Didn't seem to be qualified as a drag racing kind of guy, but he got the job. Didn't want to hire me. Ultimately, I got the job with him. And that was David Cronenberg. So that's how my career started, by um, doing a drag racing film in, in Alberta, which is kind of north of Montana, a very red, white, and blue kind of movie. And then I went on to do Videodrome and and Scanners and The Fly and The Dead Zone and things like that. So that's how I got my start. I finally moved to Hollywood in, in the 80s and had by then had done a lot of horror films and kept doing them, The Blob and Fright Night and Wes Craven movies. Mm-hmm. But intermingled. I, when I shot Mighty Ducks, my son was nine years old, and Mighty Ducks 2 was the, I'd done a, a number of films for the producer, uh, Jordan Kerner, and they were TV movies, primarily for TNT and HBO. Um, when they called it cable or pay TV, it was kind of a different thing. Then And then I hooked up with him on, um Mighty Ducks. And this was the first one that was really a franchise uh creator and supporter. We were we shot in the pond before the Anaheim Arena, mm-hmm. before there'd even been a game there. The, the paint was still wet in the hallways, you know, they don't want to touch the wall, they're still wet, you know, all that kind of stuff. So the ice was literally brand new and uh, that was quite a thrill to to have that uh kind of uh we were anointed by having the new logo, the new team. Um, it was it was a great great project to to work on.
1: Mm-hmm. So, did you see the first Mighty Ducks? Do you go back in that first movie and like study how it shot, or is it, did you just kind of take your what your kind of vision of it?
2: Uh, yes and no. Um, I had done another hockey film for an, another Minnesotan. This guy's name was Peter Markle, and the film was called Youngblood. Blood.
1: Uh-huh. which was,
2: Great film. uh, yeah, kind of a grown up Um, it wasn't kids playing hockey and I got, I, I mean, I'm from Toronto. I'm from Canada. I played hockey since I was three. So it wasn't like, how do you do this? And, um, I, uh, I young blood had a definite edge to it cause it was junior a guys. They were all 18, mm-hmm. 19, very powerful. Um, uh, um, mighty ducks two, not, I mean, one was kind of the, the Humble Beginnings and Gordon Bombay has to um, learn about life and life's going to teach him lessons. a, a Classic Disney kind of movie that there's a message in, inside all this. Guts uh, 2 was kind of the international version. the Goodwill Games got a little broader. Uh, I worked very hard in making it, um, as a cinematographer, as a director of photography, making it accessible. The producers really wanted it to look dark. Of like the ice capades lots and lots of shadows on the ice all the time when they're competing and i and i went that distance certainly at the pond it's much more pools of light which is kind of like a rock concert thing but this is and i had to tell them, i'm a hockey player this is a competition you can't lose the puck in the shadows this is not how um competitions certainly in international competitions this is not how games are played yeah no this is a movie don't worry about that well so i brought it as close as i could to to what i thought was artistic i didn't want ducks three was very very dark and they they the producer got what he wanted which was pools of light and dense dense dark shadows which to me um playing hockey since 1953 was just not not going to be correct but that's the Canadian's point of view. In, in, in Youngblood, we definitely had the good guys and the bad guys. Look for the different arenas, different teams, and they all had kind of an edge to um, their team. The Icelandic team in this, of course, were the bad guys. And in terms of character lighting, it was much easier to um, to give them that edge, and it was it was actually more fun. I mean, villains in a Disney movie. Uh, I have have, have, I've done a lot of Disney films, and I I have a a phrase called Disney dark, and dark as anything can be. um, You want people can ultimately see in the dark, even in real life. So in a movie, you don't want people squinting and basically leaning back, saying, "Well, I can't see. I don't know what's going on." So I want to make sure that people can get that information. And God knows the uh, the cast of characters with all these different teams from Trinidad to Tobago, everything. It was quite a a landscape of new faces. And I didn't want them to be all lost because once somebody's got a uniform on and a helmet and a face guard, you can't really see them anyway. So you really want to bring that forward.
3: So with that, uh, with such a deep history playing hockey and everything, did you run into m- more situations like that where it was kind of tough for you to swallow what they wanted you to do, uh, from a cinematography like standpoint, uh, you know, where you knew it was unrealistic.
2: Well, I was, uh, Sam Weisman was, uh, and Steve Brill, they were the kind of on set, the guiding light kind of guys, and they, they were quite in support of me. They, it wasn't like an issue, a uh, crisis at all, no conflict. It was just taking a thought and keeping it on the, the brighter side, Disney dark, as opposed to the music video side, which was lots of smoke and backlight, which <laughs> if you're competing, and this was an international competition, so it was kind of, wouldn't be just, something at the, at the sports arena or the Anaheim pond to say, yeah, it was was just a special, like the ice capades, rather than have a spotlight following someone around. If you you watch figure skating at the Olympics, there's no spotlight. There's no, there's no smoke and backlight. People are competing and you see the whole arena. So I kind of brought that to the middle and, and, um, there's a term called timing, which is not about uh, uh, seconds and minutes in, in film it's about coloring and darkening or brightening the final film. And now it's become a radically different thing with computers. But in those days, it was um, photochemical. It was what the film looked like. Is what more or less what I decided it would look like, in conjunction with the the, the editor and the uh, the producer and the director. So after it was all over, we could make things darker, not a problem, and make them lighter. They got too dark. Unlike uh, digitally, uh, the digital method, the platform of shooting projects now for film and television, there's not there, on film there was not that much room. If you made things much, much brighter, it started to break down and, and get hazy and, and uh, resolution would fall apart. If you made things too dark, it would get grainy and contrasty. So to me, telling a story with pictures, I like this story and it was The second chapter of uh, Gordon Bombay and the kids and new kids and um, African-American kids playing hockey and, um, you know, the knuckle puck, all kinds of different things. The flying V. These were all part of of a new vocabulary that I didn't want to be um, forced to explain. Well, I can't see it. I don't understand. What is this? I don't. Who's that person? So that's kind of the undercurrent of what a cameraman, a director of photography or a cinematographer brings to. Uh, a story telling a story with pictures
0: mm. uh, we talked to Steve Brill a couple of weeks ago and one thing he mentioned is he really wanted to have a lot of hockey in the first couple of movies and so you know as as the uh, director of photography how difficult is it to film these scenes and all these shots and make them look like real hockey is being played can you kind of take us through like what what a day of shooting is like and how many different angles and things you have to go through to make it potentially look good when it's edited together later
2: well, it's, it's funny. When you watch a hockey game on television, there is one in the bleachers, one camera that's the master, uh, et cetera, ice, and just pans left and right, and it's really you're just watching it. And that's on Youngblood and on this film, that was our mandate to say, we will never get that angle. Mm-hmm. And we never did. We were always the, the nice thing about hockey, unlike football, if you watch a football game, they actually play for 12 minutes. The three-hour game, <laughs> they play for 12 minutes in hockey, once you're on the ice, you never stop moving. So part of that motion was what drew the the inertia and, and the rhythm of the film. So we ended up having two and three cameras all the time. I designed and, and we built uh, skate dollies and uh, skateboard wheel style dollies, which uh, we call them lawnmower cameras, which if you can imagine pushing a lawnmower, but instead of it with a blade and wheels, it's got Uh, skate blades and a camera on it and a little monitor. We would skate around and go through people's legs. Every conceivable angle we could get, even a camera that went through someone's legs, right into the goal with the puck, the knuckle puck uh, rig. These were all challenges to help tell the story. So it would be common to do uh, 50 or 60 setups a day. Um, The hardest thing for us was to, for me at least, because I never, I, you know, I get on the ice on skates and skate everywhere and skate after the camera, you know. We'd have a camera that was pushed on a dolly, uh, like a little deck thing. Uh, the, guy, the guys would, these were these were bigger kids than they'd been in, in the, the original movie. They could skate a lot faster. So leading them meant having people skate backwards, or in this case, on a dolly, which was essentially uh, a sheet of plywood with skate blades, modified metal um Angle iron to, that worked as skate blades, and these guys would have four or five grips, who would skate forwards, and the camera would be looking backwards, and then we'd skate around and skid and pan. It was it was great because we were we were really experimenting with how low we could go, how fast we could go, and we'd get a crane on the ice, and uh, they would skate underneath us, and we'd crane down, or they'd come towards us and crane up, and and you know uh, the puck would go into the goal. It was a lot of dynamics because you're dealing primarily with Um, a white background from a high angle or uh, the truth was in most of these arenas we had up to 200 uh, let me rephrase that, about 100 extras Mm -hmm. and over 500 cutouts so we had to keep the camera moving as soon as you stopped the camera you could see that everyone um, there was a white guy, a black guy and an Asian girl And that was uh, multiplied by, um, you know, a hundred times or more. So that was, that was our audience. And if we didn't keep the camera moving, it looked like what it was. When we did Youngblood, we had cutouts. We had uh, kind of uh, basically wardrobe racks that were interspersed with people who would put their arms to the, 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 the the wardrobe of of someone who had like those um, hairdresser kind of white. Uh, heads so they put a wig on we put a hat on it and, and painted skin colored put it on a kind of t-shaped uh, piece of wood and then a jacket on that and then we'd have two of those guys and the two extras on either side and they'd all cheer together Young. Uh, uh, that was young blood, but mighty ducks was much bigger the, uh, the the pond was extremely big that's where the shadows started working and we would make the the, the bleachers kind of fade off into darkness and keep keep the illusion of a, of a full arena uh, alive at that point. But by and large, it was all about keeping things in motion. And it, motivated camera movements are the best if somebody's moving um, and we, we want to move with them, either low and wide and close to them to get some of the sweep or more telephoto, get a more blurred background to accelerate their skating abilities. And some guys didn't know how to skate at all, much less play hockey. Uh, I don't don't think Keenan knew how to play, how to, how to skate. So we'd put them on a dolly and we'd be on another dolly and they'd kind of stride, uh, even though they're just like sneakers, they'd kind of stride and, and you know, well, you saw it, you, you, uh, that's what doubles and all those kinds of of cheats will actually do tell the story.
3: So that being said, who is the actual uh, of the ducks? Who is the, the best actual hockey player in that bunch?
2: Uh well Josh is uh another Canadian. He grew up the same way I did. So um he was he was great. Uh, believe it or not. Sean was quite a uh um played Goldberg was a very good <laughs> good player. Um, uh Garrett uh Ratliff Henson, he was great. And Marguerite, I she, they everyone, you know, they go through this kind of boot camp like like uh war kind of movies do where they people have to live in the in a the trench, so on so these kids Did all the hockey training, and some of them just fell into it. They were quite, quite skilled at it. Um, Ty O'Neill, let's see, he was the uh, Texan guy with the Mm -hmm. big ears. I think. Dwayne. Uh, Yeah, and Mike uh, Vitar, he was great. Mm -hmm. There, I mean, a lot of guys were natural athletes, and the truth is that if you know how to skate and you know the strategy of playing hockey, you're really just skating with a stick and and the, the rules of it are kind of fall into place. It isn't like a lot of separate plays with, with football where there's a lot of strategy, mm-hmm. stop and start and this and that. And here's the pattern. Um, I mean, I grew up learning how to skate on a pond, a frozen pond. So it was funny to see, to be at the Anaheim pond. My mind is boggled. Anyway, people playing hockey in Jacksonville and San Diego it doesn't make sense to me, but whatever. <laughs>
0: And and so what was the shooting schedule like? Would you guys try and get all the hockey stuff done like in one chunk or did you have to like go back and do reshoots or anything like that? Or was it just kind of like all the hockey is done in one week and then we can do the rest or what was that time? Uh, for?
2: Actually, as it, as it turns out, we, we shot in Minnesota as well as here, uh, here being Los Angeles. And um, so we had hockey in both places. Mm -hmm. And then at the pond, uh, the, uh, there's a place called Pickwick, which is in, in Burbank, a kind of a suburb of uh, Los Angeles. And that has a, a, so all these different rinks we wanted, the, the director wanted different rinks for practice, for training, for, for um, diff- this competition and that competition. So, uh, so that it all would build up to the big finale at, at the Goodwill games um, uh, conclusion at the pond. And, and it was, it was interesting because we would like these, it was uh, it was different. We wanted to give each place a different feel, so the so the color scheme, the bleachers all look different. Uh, so we would come and go, which was actually good. This was all shot in the summer. Well, it's summer more or less all the time in Los Angeles, but in in uh, Minnesota, um, I I don't know if you guys are from Minnesota, but it's kind of like Ontario. It gets humid in the summer. There's lots of mosquitoes, and then to go inside of a hockey rink, there's a lot of uh um, humidity and therefore fog in the air, so we had we had to blow that all out, and 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 uh, it was odd to have uh, the winter games kind of thing in the summer. Story-wise, people have made note of that, but okay. hey, it's a movie. You know what can I say?
1: Uh-huh. Yeah. So... so we
2: we didn't get all the hockey done in one one uh, chunk. It it was back and forth, which was good in a way because my lighting, my pre rig guys would tear it down next arena, light it up, then we'd go shoot. we go somewhere else and they'd tear it down and put it in the next arena.
1: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a little earlier that you had a knuckle puck rig. How did, how did you pull off the knuckle puck? What did that rig kind of look like?
2: It was interesting. It was um, this, uh, most people think of it as fishing line and it, that's what it is, but in the film business they call it monofilament mono or mono, and it's just kind of clear Thread uh, fishing line and the knuckle puck was kind of an exaggerated, it was bigger than a normal puck, but mounted on the front of the camera and it was held with um, monofilament that's kind of straight through. and We would just literally spin the thing. I don't think it when we did uh, Dumb and Dumber, we had a, uh, a cork that we spun a champagne cork that killed, killed the birds. That was on an electric <laughs> drill that spun around and hit the birds. Uh, this one was kind of different because it didn't spin on on the uh, optical axis; it was on the, the cross axis. But it 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 was just something that blurred in the foreground. So somebody hits the sets it up, basically hits it like a baseball, and then it would spin. And we would do that shot. And then it would lay, I forget how the cutting pattern worked, but these are all the little, the tasty little ingredients that the camera department gets to gets to play with. Lots of fun.
0: We've talked a lot about, um, you know, kind of the hockey scenes, but looking back at D2, were there any particular shots or scenes or sequences that you look back and say, that was a lot of fun to, you know, kind of be a part of, or man, that was a pain in the ass to get done.
2: Um, I'm looking at the, the locations here on IMDB and, and we were all over the place on uh, Lake of the Isles at mall of the Americas, uh, a mall of America, um, the locker rooms, the, the, that day we shot in that locker room. It was some. We we built that in this weird little um, kind of warehouse thing. And it always gets down to the end of a film where you've shot all the big set pieces. And this laundry list that says, oh, we'll pick that up. We'll get this. We'll get that. Finally, it's all lumped together. And you have a warehouse, not a studio, where sets are built for all kind of the bastard stepchild cutaway of this scene and that scene and, and mm-hmm. so we, there, that's where the locker room was built and that was the day Gretzky came and it wasn't mm-hmm. like oh that's the guy he's great it's like he's the great one 99 mm-hmm. and I, I remember getting hassled when I moved from Toronto oh, moving to Hollywood You're leaving town well Gretzky moved there come <laughs> on. can't get much more Canadian than him and he moved he became one of the kings so what can I say so that was that was a there was a real buzz that day because these these kids were now older than they had been on the first show and yet uh, they as actors they were entrenched with um, it was now a, a it was a legitimate uh, franchise it was uh, the hockey team from Anaheim and so for Gretzky to show up wasn't just a personality this was the man mm-hmm. and that's a day I remember having uh, a real buzz to it that that was. That was fun because these guys were now re- relating to what uh, I mean I remember meeting I don't know if you, you know who Tim Horton was or Dick Duff or John Bellibo, or uh, Eric Nesterenko all these all these guys were my heroes when I was their age and now that was Wayne Gretzky shaking hands and it was a big deal
1: hmm. Did you talk at all with Gretzky? Uh,
2: n- n- no not I mean he was he was kind of there as mm-hmm. he's kind of dropped in uh we had him for like an hour he played himself so he, it wasn't uh uh I'm kind of busy on the set <laughs> I didn't get to talk to him but uh, as heroes go he's he's still his his outlook on hockey is is um relates very well to the, uh, everyone's outlook or should be everyone's outlook on life and 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 taking chances are you familiar with his best-known quote?
0: Oh, I believe yeah. it was in every high
2: school classroom <laughs> I was you ever 100% in. 100
1: percent of the shots you don't take.
0: Yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah, and he didn't have a press agent make that up for him. You know, there's the a <laughs> real guy.
3: Yeah, I just want to go yeah, ahead and
2: oh. yeah, keep keep asking. I'm 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 here. <laughs>
3: I w- I just want to go ahead and give you the chance. Are you saying that you're essentially the Gretzky of cinematography? I want to give you the chance to go ahead and just outright say that.
2: <laughs> oh no, I, I'm I'm far from being the Wayne Gretzky of cinematography. He is the great one in his league. I'm I'm one of many, but I'm very for- fortunate to be one of a very select few of Canadian cameramen who have both letters, the ASC and the CSC, after their name, and it's it's a uh, it's a big world in the film business, but it isn't all that big and making it to one level in Canada or your or anyone's home country whether it's um, uh, Holland or Britain or France I mean van uh, heutema just joined he just uh, became a full a s c member at least he was in front of the membership committee last weekend and here's a guy who started up in Holland and Poland and Sweden and ended up shooting. Uh, Specter and uh, a lot of great huge films, so for me to come from canada to uh to Hollywood isn't really all that far and uh, so I don't think I could ever be the Wayne Gretzky of cinematographers but uh um,
0: as a as a Canadian, does it bother you that Wayne Gretzky would want to go talk to the team USA and not team Canada in d two
2: well yeah I mean it, it, it's, it's <laughs> story wise it's great, and it's nice to have that kind of rhythm. Uh, and for him to, you know, his all his subtle subterfuge with uh, melting a loony in the ice—I <laughs> forget so, which uh, Olympics that was. Anyway,
1: uh, I mean, did you obviously you're Canadian? Did you ask about like what's going on with Team Canada in these Junior Goodwill Games?
2: Oh uh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is uh <laughs> you are you well? I kind of look at the relationship between Canada and America. It's changed now, uh, most definitely. You, I mean, England and Scotland, Germany and Austria, Australia and New Zealand. There's a country and then there's kind of the kid brother
1: mm-hmm. and it
2: will always be thus. So what America says, this is what's happening. You can say what you want. And then everyone says, fine. Are you finish? Okay. This is what's happening. So it doesn't <laughs> change much. <laughs> and, um, there is, uh, th- I don't know if this is a, uh, it's not a Gretzky quote, but, uh, a Canadian quote, unless you're the lead sled dog, the view doesn't change very much. And mm-hmm. if I if I'm to be a Canadian team player making a movie in America, that lead sled dog's butt is always going to be in my face. And that's <laughs> that. But perhaps I always continue. And, yes, remember that one.
0: <laughs> perhaps the Canadian team was playing in the senior Goodwill Games. Oh yeah, much better.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so
2: I mean, are, I was, are all you guys hockey players? By the way,
1: I am. They uh, they're just fans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, that's
2: fans. Fans are good. I mean, we're we're not a cricket fans, so that's that's a big difference. <laughs>
1: that's true. So I was gonna kind of let this pass, but I'm curious, and I don't know when I'm gonna be able to ask this again. So, uh, the whole porn thing, how did how did you make that transition? Like, what was it like to get in there and then and then transition out of it?
2: Oh, well, it's funny. The the actual connections are based entirely on uh, the crew. Uh, and the director. I mean, the, the the content is one thing. Everyone's starting somewhere. I mean, I, I the ASC. If you if you look up who's in the A, uh, ASC, for example, of all the uh, tens of thousands of cameramen all over the world, there's only 300 members of the ASC. And most of us started in low-budget movies, and half of us started in porn, because that's what that's how you start. Huh. So what I what I was able to do and still do, and this is. 42 years later is work with the same people uh, on a technical level. The location manager shooting uh, on that very first film, which was called Diary of a Sinner. You can look that up and watch it if you want. <laughs> oh, we will. <laughs> Michael <laughs> yeah. put it in the show notes. <laughs> but um, he became, uh, yeah, uh, um, David Coachworth. We were all skinny little uh, hungry kids. May, I made a, literally, um, a, it was a four-week shoot, which is to say 20 days, which is to say 20-hour 20, 20 days, a lot of work, and I made $50 a week and deferred the other 50 because it's going to be big and I'll get my money back. Of course, I never did, but the, the payoff, the dividends are the people you work with. And the location manager was a skinny kid like me, David Cosworth, who's now an executive producer. Uh, everybody has gone on and we all went together. The trick is you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and film students ask me, you know, how do you get started? Where do you go? Say yes to everything. You'll end up at the North Pole. You'll end up in some sweaty strip club. You'll end up, <laughs> you know, at the bottom of a uranium mine like I did. And you just say yes to everything. Because what you learn is what will teach others and those other people will take you with them. And I only did one film with, with um Sam Wiseman. Um but I did a lot of films with uh Jordan Kerner. And I just looking at these credits, um I did ten films with the key grip on this. Uh the first assistant director I ended up doing he ended up doing many, many big films like uh let's see, like Elf, um Wow. Bear with me for a minute. Steve Boyum, who is the second unit director. Yeah, I mean, David Householder, uh, executive producer on Trainwreck, on Step Brothers, um, Anchorman, all kinds of stuff. So when you say yes to something, you don't know where it's going. Mm-hmm. And the meetings that other people are having that you're not um, invited to, they may be about you. You never know. Someone's going to say, yeah, guy. I like the work he did. I took, we know it's a crappy film. But he did a good job. I like his attitude. Let's take him on this film. That's how I got to do um, Blood and Guts, which led to, to Fast Company, which led to The Brood, which led to Scanners and Videodrome and The Dead Zone and The Fly and then The Scream. <laughs> so it's, it's all about a door. Which door will you open? Open all of them. Say yes to all of them. One of them's going to lead to – and I didn't know, I didn't know what, where I was going. In 1973, now I know where I'd be, and that's the best I can do.
3: <laughs> so, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask this question for our loyal quackalites. Um, we had Sean Weiss on for the second time a couple weeks ago, and he mentioned that they are in talks um, with Ron Jeremy for his uh, TV show to be to play Sean Weiss's dad. Um, I just wanted to ask if you'd ever cross paths with the famous porn star.
2: No, no, I never have. Um, but Sean is the kind of guy who's very glib. That <laughs> sounds like an interesting family tree, but I can see The, <laughs> uh, the relation, the physical kind of uh, relationship. <laughs> but well, <I'm, laughs> that's pretty funny. Uh, I, I didn't say I didn't go very far in the porn industry. It, it stayed where it was in Canada, and a lot of guys that that kind of filled in the the gaps when we went on. Um, we will all catch up later on in life. But uh, at that time, there was a guy called Bennett Fode who owned a couple of pussycat theaters. And he was essentially renting or paying U.S. dollars to bring movies from Buffalo where the Weinstein family um, would distribute films. And it cost him a fortune. He got us crazy film students and said, why don't you, I'll put, give you the money, you make the movies, I'll put them in my theater and I have to pay U.S. dollars to show these movies. So to us, it was like an art form. Hmm. And uh, I guess I, it was in some way. But that was then and this is now. And <laughs> the internet has taken over. No more theaters. For that, anyway.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm just bringing it back to, like, the ducks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, we do this thing, Mark, called the quack question where we, we ask some fans to send in their questions and we read and we try to answer them. So we asked for questions about cinematography. So Kevin's got the quack question for you.
2: Oh, okay.
3: Oh. All right. This one comes from Loyal Quack like Garrett Green. That's at Garrett Green. And he, he asks, uh, where was the street hockey scene filmed?
2: Oh, now bring me back up to date. The street hockey that one in Los Angeles?
3: Yes
0: yeah d two okay. where they the kids basically after they're done i guess they skip out on training and then they go play against Keenan and uh basically his boys and kind of learn to love hockey again
2: okay um i mean it was shot in downtown los angeles i'm i'm gonna i'm going to my my uh my map of downtown l a because um um it it has changed there there is a lot of uh I'm thinking of Beverly and 3rd. Forgive me for getting to our uh, ge- geographical, but that that's what this guy Garrett is looking for though, right? The exact spot. Sure. Was oh, it just like a regular park to... or? Oh, okay. So they, they to kind of visit that spot.
0: It's a landmark, I'm sure. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, let's see. Um, I'm looking, I'm, I'm, I'm see- I'm looking at, um, Belmont, High school? No, that's not it. Uh, th- my problem, the reason I'm kind of vamping here is that I've sh- shot in a number of places and then I go back, oh, here's the spot, and we drive around, drive around, and then realize it's all been torn down. It's <laughs> not here anymore. So um, I'm thinking this is on, uh, I'm looking for an actual landmark. There's a place in uh, <laughs> Los Angeles I mean there's um, Little China There's Chinatown There's uh, Little Tokyo Koreatown And there's This Filipino town Which is uh, Part of Temple I'm I'm, I'm thinking it's on uh, Yeah a Temple and I don't know man I'm scanning this map I can't find the exact part <laughs> I have a feeling us- It's not there anymore But uh, okay. There's a Bridge on Let me work backwards From this Beverly, okay. You Give us
1: an approximation if you want.
2: Yeah, I believe it's around Beverly and Alvarado. Okay. And I'm looking at a map. If I had street view, I could probably find it. Um, Did
3: people think you guys were crazy out there playing hockey in the middle of downtown L.A.? uh,
2: Yes and no. (laughs) Because everyone really got into hockey. I mean, that's the last thing any of us would have thought. Here it is. I think it's Union Avenue Elementary School, Beverly and Union. There you go. We have a flock uh, of people th- out there tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, uh, that's that's ringing a bell only because it, I can re- I remember the there's a, a weird. I, 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 oh, ah, maybe this is it. Belmont High School. Uh, and let's. Uh, it's either that one or yeah, it's it's this one. It's Belmont High School and i believe that that kind of uh was was kind of a a cliff or a ledge or some kind of weird deal where he looked down at the kids uh, oh. i think it that's at the corner of whitmer w i t m e r whitmer street and second street okay off of beverly boulevard and uh, i don't know where all the the money comes to build new schools but uh um Maybe that hasn't happened. Maybe it's maybe that's still there. I don't know. But it has a really cool elevated playground. I was amazed when I came to Los Angeles that all the playgrounds were paved with just concrete or asphalt. Mm-hmm. Really? And anyway, that's that's where we shot the scene. Obviously, was, on it, the
1: was it any harder to shoot a street hockey scene compared to a, just a regular like ice hockey scene?
2: Well most of the, I mean most of the dollies and rigs that we have, and, and certainly the thing called a steady cam that the operator wears, um, it's rare that uh, you'll be dealing with uh, a frozen street in which you can put on um, skates on your dolly kind of thing. So most of the time, things that move, uh, whether it's people playing hockey or soccer or baseball or whatever touch football, is on on dry land, and so most of the camera rigs that are invented are, are the ones that will run around uh, on on uh, hard ground. so the, the hockey rigs that we built were designed to to work on ice. Uh, after do, making all the same kind of rigs on young it was obvious that uh, shooting on the ice was much easier because you could you could dolly in a straight line. You didn't need to lay track because everything's smooth. And then you could slide sideways. You could make all these kind of cool, arcing kind of moves that would go uh, in any direction. It's hard to do on on a on asphalt like this, or on on grass or pavement.
1: All right. Well, I we're kind of like overtime here, but I definitely learned a lot. And uh, I mean, do you have anything coming up that you want the people to see?
2: Uh, the last one I done. Um, I've been doing a lot of films projects for a producer in Vancouver and he's got to deal with Netflix. So they, they've kind of gone to Netflix. The most recent theatrical film I've done is William H. Macy has, uh, this is the second film he's directed. He didn't act in it and uh, starring a, a, um, a girl called Alexandra Daddario and another girl called Kate Upton it's huh. called the layover. And yeah. That's a very Sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, a very kind of uh risky, risqué, fun, crazy film shot that in Vancouver in the summer. So that's the latest film that uh, right. to come out.
1: Yeah, we'll uh we'll be checking it out for sure. <laughs> uh I mean for us uh the quaiqtech.com pod on Twitter facebookcom pod. Go to iTunes. Give us five stars, cause we keep we educate you on these things like cinematography. And remember, <laughs> ducks fly together.
0: Ducks fly together. Quack quack. <laughs>
2: Why not?